You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. Welcome to episode 138 of the Make It British podcast. Well, that was fun. Last week, we held our first ever virtual event. And despite the fact that we were really worried about tech gremlins getting in, because we'd never used such a platform before, because it wasn't Zoom, it was a different platform, especially for virtual events. There were hundreds of people that came along and they stayed for so many of the talks and met all of the exhibitors. And there was lots and lots of engaged chat going on in all of the sessions and questions for all our panellists. It was really good fun. Now, if you didn't come along and you want to catch up with it, I'm going to put a link in the show notes of this podcast because there's still a chance to watch all of the replays there with a special replay ticket that we've made available. And it's going to be available until the 25th of October. So I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes for this podcast, or you could just go to mib.live forward slash online 2020 and you can listen to everything there. But today I've got a special episode for you because I'm bringing you one of the discussions that was at our event last week. So this um, is the second in a series of live panel discussions that we've done with Corneet Digital. You may remember the one that we also broadcast on the podcast a few weeks ago, which is about the future of UK textiles. And at the Make It British Live Online event, we continued that conversation, not only with Corneet, but also some very special guests from manufacturing, design, academia, who joined us on that panel for a really riveting discussion about where the future of fashion production is going. So, I'm going to play that for you today. I'll tell you who the panellists were as well before we start. So we had on the panel Fiona Lambert, who is the ex-MD in new business development at River Island. We had Davinda Madaher, who you may have heard last week on this podcast. He's a textile designer. We had Jenny Holloway, who's the CEO of garment manufacturing business Fashion Enter. Barbara Shepherd, who's head of business engagement at the Manchester Fashion Institute and Olma Kolka, who's Chief Marketing Officer at Corneet. So I hope you enjoy listening back to this discussion. If you want to watch it, the recording is still available until the 25th of October, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Enjoy. Right. Hello, everyone. Hello, and welcome to our first session um, of the next two days and a really important one as well about the future of the UK textile industry um, entitled Sketchpad to Shopping Bag, the future of fashion production and fulfillment. So I'm joined here today by five very esteemed and knowledgeable panelists from the industry across um, design, manufacturing, education, buying, retail and technology. And this is the second in a series of talks that we have done 
with Corneat Digital about where the UK textile industry is going and how we can embrace technology. Um, and now I'm going to introduce our wonderful panellists here and thank them all as well for joining us today. So firstly, from the top, we have Barbara Shepherd, who is Head of Business Engagement at Manchester Fashion Institute, focusing on the development of knowledge exchange with the textile and fashion sectors to support and develop business and to develop deliver research expertise that transfers cost benefits to their industry sectors. She is also an appointed textile industry specialist by government in a role that involves collaboration with industry and government bodies. Uh, then we have Jenny Holloway. She has been working in the fashion industry for over 30 years, initially in buying and product development at places such as Arcadia and Marks and & Spencers, and today works in manufacturing and training. Jenny runs Fashion Enter, an award-winning social enterprise that comprises, that comprises of an ethical manufacturing unit, making 20,000 units per week and the Fashion Technology Academy, teaching much needed technical skills to the textile industry. Um, Oma Kulka has held the position of Chief Marketing Officer at Corneat Digital since July 2017. Oma has extensive experience in the semiconductor industry, holding positions spanning research and development to marketing and business management. Since joining Corney, he has held several managerial positions at the company, including Director of the Wide Format Division and Director of Product Marketing. Fiona Lambert is one of the UK's leading businesswomen with senior roles at Next, Asda, Dunelm and River Island. She's worked alongside George's founder, George Davis, to set up and launch George as the first fashion supermarket brand in 1990. Gosh, was it really 30 years ago? Fiona has built a hugely successful career in the fashion industry over the last 30 years, running the design, buying, sourcing and quality of clothes that have been worn by many in the in many many in the nation. Fiona's vision and passion for nurturing the next generation of British fashion talent led to her championing championing graduate fashion week for five years. She has won awards for mentoring, innovation, and inspiring others. And last but not least, Davinda Madaha is a freelance textile designer and consultant. He has over 25 years experience in designing prints for both fashion and homeware. Davinda started his career in New York, working for various print studios with his designs sold to top US brands. Back in the UK, he has worked and sold his designs to some of the major UK retailers, including Sainsbury's, where he was print senior print designer, designing prints on both women's wear and home. Davinda continues to consult with various brands and also runs a creative business with his partner, Caroline. Right, well, thank you everyone for joining me here today. So um, just to let everyone know, please do put your questions in the chat. I can see there's a few coming through. We will be answering them at the end. Right, so let's kick off then. Now, there's no doubt that manufacturing is the unsung hero of the UK fashion and textile industry. Um, but there's definitely a renewed interest these days in making locally. Why do our panellists think this is so important now? And how do they see that going moving forward in the future? So 
perspective. Jenny, let's start with you. Why is it important? Why now? Well, actually, I, I sort of object to the word now because it's always been important. Uh, we've been manufacturing now for the best part of 12 years. Um, I, I will be really honest, um, going from a buying background and getting up to senior buyer and then getting to manufacturing made me realise what a shocking senior buyer I was from the perspective of not understanding technical skills, asking for ridiculous things like we'll take a pocket off, so let's save two pounds. I mean, I, I just think back to my my own experiences and no one can beat the UK for speed of response. And actually, all this about dirty factories, it shouldn't be happening. It's on our doorsteps. So transparency has never been easier to achieve, especially with systems like Galaxis, which we've used for the last six years here. So if we don't want to stop high inventory, um, being receptive to demand, I mean, who could have predicted COVID the way it has devastated retailers in particular? I think that the e-tailers have fared better because their inventories were lower. That's the beauty of the UK. You can buy small, react quickly, go back into to, to bigger uh, buys if required. But you know, every retailer and retailer needs to sell out at high price. And I think the next revolution is not just actually going to be about manufacturing, but it's having that print and having the availability availability to print into the demand of the customer. So this is a fantastic time for all UK manufacturers. Brilliant. Fiona, what's your thoughts on this? Well, I, I think it's an amazing opportunity. I, mean, I think uh, out of the back of um, COVID, I think it's made people relook at manufacturing. Um, fairly ancient. You know, when I first started, 35% of my production was in the UK. And I think more recently it was, it was two. But I think out of need, people have started to look, relook again, whether it is PPE or fashion. And um, I think what it's highlighted is actually you know to build on what jen said you know we can actually make it uh, i think with the right knowledge and engineering um you know barbara and I earlier actually a real understanding of the cost of a garment this of factories working together on fabric um i do there's a there's a real opportunity now i mean obviously it requires lots of collaboration and people working together um, but you know the famous quote: "If if not now, when? And if not now, if not who else? You know, it's kind of it's it's um, we've we've got to, we've got to take advantage of the opportunity. I think. Mm, yeah, collaboration. That's a really good word. I think that's really key. Barbara, how do you look at this, and how how do your students feel about UK manufacturing and manufacturing in general? Uh, from a student point of view, it's. It, it's the where to go. Uh, my students are really, all students, I think, are really, um, really interested in the whole sustainability side of our sector. Um, how we can manufacture ethically is a big, big issue uh, for them. Uh, and as Jenny said, we have it, you know, we can control it. Uh, we can um, look at our manufacturing going um, down the uh, production lines. So uh, for us, UK manufacturing is a big plus. It's a big opportunity. I think COVID has, you know, there's lots of negatives, but it's definitely given uh, our sector a big opportunity. Um, all of a sudden, we are front of class because um, the textile and fashion sector is, for me, a lot of the times, um, from a government perspective, we're way down uh, 
the list. But now this is our Oscar moment. That's how I see it. So as an industry, we have to grasp where we are now and work together um, for the benefit of the sector. Um, Zavinda. Well, I'm a freelancer, so I've worked with some of the major, you know, UK brands. And I think the challenge is really, you know, are we going to go to the Far East to manufacture? Um, and it, there is something to be said about having things made here in the UK. Um, I think it's also about the fact that we are challenged to be making things in the UK. You know, you we know about fast fashion. We know certain retailers make things cheap as anything. And, you know, we've we've had all, you know, the factories that have been destroyed in Bang, you know, Bangladesh and things like that. So, you know, we have to look at from a, a design point of view, from a humanistic point of view, that, you know, what are we producing and why are we producing? And I think the challenge now, even with COVID, is that people want quality. You know, it's about sustainability as well. And that's obviously a big you know, subject in itself. But that is also comes down to education, you know, that Barbara's doing, I think Jenny as well. You know, we, I think I work with retailers here and even in my own small business, I am using UK manufacturers and digital printers here. So I do think it's about um, it being made here. And why should, I, why should we have to go to the Far East? You know, and I think big businesses, Corporate companies need to. Look, well, they're all thinking about numbers, aren't they? So that's a challenge, you know. Num high volume, cheap prices over quality. So that's a challenge, and I think UK can provide the quality and the and the right prices. That's Fantastic. my. Thank you, um, and Oma. Then you have a, a very good overview of the whole of the the way the whole world is going in terms of local manufacturing. Um, what's your perspective on, on on the UK in particular and how we can capitalise on this? Yeah, so I think the UK is is has quite a unique um, combination here because I think it's 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 a market where you have it's it's a big design hub and also it's a big consumers market, but then everything in the middle actually will take place somewhere else. So you design it. And then somebody that actually lives next to you buys it, but then it goes all across the globe and somebody else produces it. And then it gets um, I think the UK has a huge potential to actually make that into a much more concise and you know focused supply chain. And I think that actually uh, building on what Jenny just said, I think the importance to do that was always there, but I do believe that um, the incentive now is bigger than that. And I think that, the reason why supply chains of the fashion industry are built the way they are, they were good reasons in the past, but what's happening right now is that the entire ecosystem is changing. So they're not good anymore because yes, as Jenny said, it was all about the cost per unit. Cost per unit was everything. But what does it matter? What is the cost per unit? If you're not selling over 20% of what you produce. So what is the actual cost per unit here? And probably most of what you already sold is in markdown anyways. And I think that that's the key thing. I think the ecosystem is changing completely. The UK obviously represents um, a market that is changing fast because um, UK is the third largest e-commerce market in the world. And that's e-commerce is probably 
one of the biggest drivers of what we're seeing right now. E-commerce is changing the retail model. So it was in the past, it was demand, uh, supply, sorry, and demand. You know, I made something and then I created the demand. But when people buy online, you don't control the trends anymore. So, hey, the demand is there and then I need to supply. And that kind of like puts the entire retail model on its head and the entire supply chain in the back needs to catch up. So I think the only way to do that is by really producing close to the end consumers. It's it's the only way to do that. And it was a smarter a smarter way of doing things in the past as well, but there was, just wasn't enough, a big enough of an incentive. And now I think the incentive is there as well. So I think it just from sustainability perspective, from uh, from an environmental impact, from an um, from a society impact and you know, fair labor and stuff like that, and also just from economical reasons, it's just it's more sustainable right now on, on every aspect. Um, however, it is a challenge that yeah. everybody needs to overcome to get the yes, because there are supply chains that were built for many years and. We need to shift that to, to a different place. Yeah. Can pick up there about challenges that you just said? Because I think I, I went to a retailer recently who will remain nameless, and they had bought autumn, winter 2021. And I was absolutely horrified. And I couldn't, I mean, why would anybody commit? millions of pounds when you do not know what's going to happen. But one of the challenges that we're coming across is that old chasing of margin has to stop with the buyers, right? And I'm not talking about my clients particularly. I'm just saying generically. So we've had loads of inquiries recently from big retailers and they'll, they'll send some sketches through and they'll say, please give us a price on this. This is not going to work. And it's actually quite frustrating what we need to do is sit down and talk about our package. We need to talk about being joined at the hip. We need to, I'm more than happy to do open costings. As long as the retailers realize that we need to have a little bit of gross margin and obviously a bit of net margin as well to keep on investing in, we should be talking about packages because an individual garment that may not be in uh, into margin, it's irrelevant. It's about marrying margin and working and seeing the bigger picture. And actually, the retailer and the e-tailer should not be telling us what to make weeks and weeks in advance. We should have a phone call on a Monday morning and say, we've got six styles all ready to go. The, the, the results over the weekend were, that style is the best, make that now. And that's what Speed of Response is about now. It, it's not about, it's, it's exit margin like you're basically saying, Omar. Those are the challenges that we really have from a manufacturing perspective. Mm. I mean, do you agree with that, Fiona? I mean, you've spent a long time working in retail. Yeah. Uh, There's no doubt that it, the ways of working do need to change. 100%. Uh, you know, building on what, both what Jenny and Omar have said, I mean, you know, in women's wear, you will, you will be selling 20 to 30% at markdown. So anything you can do to buy closer to the selling point is going to reduce that. The other big shift that's happened is traditional retailers will have seen anything from 20% of their sales being online, having gone up to 50 or 60. And that is not going to swing back. And the reality of an online business means um, you need a breadth uh, of range and slightly less depth. So you are going to be buying quicker and smaller quantities. Um, what it does need, and you know, Jenny knows this and, and has just described it, is, and like I mentioned, it's a partnership because... Uh, the only way this is going to be working is if if the 
it's a leadership thing that agrees that actually the intake margin will be lower, but actually the flexibility and the net margin that brings, you know, the reduction in landfill, the reduction in overproduction, um, you know, all the costs associated with photographing and processing uh, too many garments will go down. So it, it is a leadership decision that says, actually, we will focus on UK manufacturing at the end result, the net margin will better for the company it'll be better for the planet um and actually it'll deliver to the customer what they want so it, it really does start with a retail leadership decision mm. and then that in turn then feeds down to design doesn't it Davinda? because you know designing too many products also leads to waste i mean you've obviously seen technology in the way that printing works change yeah I mean, I mean gone gone are the days when you know, we, I didn't even use a computer, but now it's like everything's so accessible. And I think, you know, I'm working with a certain retailer now and I, I, I'm limited to like six colours because it's going to be sent to Bangladesh or it's going to be sent to India. And I can't see why it couldn't be done here in the UK. So the challenge for, you know, manufacturers is, you know, price as well. And also, you know, educating up and coming designers. And I've worked with in homeware. And again, it's just, Again, it's just all, it comes down to price. It's always a challenge. I mean, you know, Fiona, you know this. Jenny, you know this. It's like companies want big volumes for, you know, peanut prices and buyers, as you say, Jenny. You know, I don't get involved in that bit, to be honest, but I've just seen designing with, working with product designers and the challenges is that it's all going to go, it's, you know, they still want it to go abroad, you know, and fast fashion, you know, get it made in Turkey. You know, we can do digital printing, um, which obviously Cornet do, but um, it's just more accessible now. So I think the challenge is always going to be price, you know, and, and uh, oh, am I going to get this garment made in Bangladesh for six colours where I could get it done in the UK? It could still be silkscreen printed or is it going to still be digitally printed? Uh, but it always comes down to price. And, yeah, it's, it's a massive change, you know, and the people, but it always comes down to price, Kate, always. So, Omer, you, um, you know, your technology is used all over the world. How, what, how can the UK adopt such technology and how do we encourage people to do so um, in order that we can play to the strengths that we have here in terms of speed of response? I think that goes back to what was said before. I think it's 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 not one piece of technology that can solve this. It's 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 something bigger than that. And it's it's about partnerships and it's about building infrastructure for actually producing in a different way. And it's very similar to what Jenny is doing, right? So it's it's you know taking the best the technology can offer right now and create an infrastructure of back end that will be able to support. Um, the digital transformation that the fashion industry is, is undergoing. I think what's happening right now, we see kind of like a, a bipolar uh, phenomenon where, where fashion industry is, is undergoing a, a highly accelerated digital transformation on the front end. Okay, so, I don't know, 10 years ago, nobody would have believed that people will buy clothes online. How can you buy apparel online if you can't try it on, right? Um and in 2015, it became the biggest category online. And since then, it's, it's, it's been the, the fastest growing as well. So this is a trend that is, is really going. Um, however, in the back end, um, it's, it's still analog and it's still uh, 
backdated and it's fragmented. And I think that combining that into kind of like micro factory cells that are close to the end consumers using um, the best in class technologies out there to actually create the full full circle. This is what's necessary to do right now. And what we see happening is we see that there's um, a difference between the front end of the designers and the brands and the marketeers and the sellers of apparel and the back end um, fulfillers. And I, I say fulfillers and not manufacturers because I think that one of the big shifts that is happening right now is that um, more and more is moving into e-commerce. That's B2C. Logistics plays a huge role in that. It's not only making it, it's actually making it and shipping it to the right person at the right time. It's not those bulk orders that go from one distribution center to another. And uh, so I think it's more about collaboration and creating those manufacturing hubs than, than anything else. And that will actually allow um, the designers to flourish at the front end because there actually is going to be manufacturing on demand as a service in the back end. And when that actually will kick in, I think that we'll see a completely different um, um, ecosystem in the entire fashion industry. I think we'll see new designers and new brands out there that simply could have never been there before because they, they didn't have you know, the backbone to support what, what it is they're trying to do. So I think that would probably be the best way to, to see that future view of, of, of localized manufacturing, um, you know, comes true. It's it's by creating those hubs and separating that design from the manufacturing and, and doing on-demand manufacturing as a service. Mm. So this is actually a really exciting time for smaller businesses then as well. It's a, it's a you know, a time for them to shine because they have more access to this type of technology and it, it means that there's more disruptors able to come into the market rather than all the big players that we've been used to being so dominant, particularly in the UK, for so long. So, I mean, Jenny, how do we – you're a manufacturer who's very good at adopting technology. I mean, you, you mentioned you use the Galaxius system, for instance, um, which is a form of technology so that you can work out um, the productivity in your factory. How do we encourage other manufacturers to embrace technology, particularly in the UK? We, we do tend to look forward and we want to look back and we want to be able to look forward. How do we encourage that? I think actually it's also about the retailers encouraging the manufacturers to go forward too. Um, I wish people, all people would realise how hardworking manufacturers are. I mean, I absolutely had no idea from going from retail to manufacturing I wouldn't go back to retail. Like I love manufacturing. I love the people that's involved and all the skills. But I think we were in a unique position because I understood about ethical and I understood about compliance. And when we first opened the company, God only knows we made so many mistakes, but we didn't run away from them. And, you know, we, people know that we're, we're a big supplier to ASOS and ASOS were supportive. We told them the truth, what was going on. And I think it's this new age of transparency that's required between retailer and manufacturer. And why should the manufacturer have to invest in the transparency of the system? Like we are already overburdened with Smeter, fast forward audits. It, and by overburdened, I mean the cost of them. Like it's our cost, it's our responsibility. 
we have a full-time compliance officer and a part-time compliance officer. And actually, the, the, the retailers have they. And fortunately for us, we did it right from the start. And as I said, we've made many, many mistakes along the way. But, you know, we're, we're in that position where we understood what we had to do. There's many and many manufacturers out there that are just hardworking, skilled people, and they don't understand the complexities of audits, and they need help. And it's no point in saying, if you wanted suppliers, then you need to be fast-forward audited, etc. Support them, help them, work with them. Because if you've got an open and transparent relationship, then it's a win-win both ways. And mm. honestly, God, it has to change. I mean, I've, I've seen, I've, I've just seen so much change in the last six months. Well, it's not just because of COVID. I think the realisation that the UK absolutely has the most unique opposition, opportunity now, and for small brands, you know, that there's almost this demand now for um, a circular economy. Um, there's one question's popped up about, you know, why can't we make fabrics in the UK? I totally agree. Like, we, we have to look at the whole vertical integration backwards by retailers. Um, there's a fantastic time. But don't burden the manufacturer with, with everything. You know, work with them and support them. Brilliant. Yeah, well said. And actually, in terms of vertical manufacturing, I was just, just want to say that we've got a talk at three o'clock as well today with uh, Christopher Nieper. Who um, who's becoming more and more vertical because he's now also printing fabric on site as well. So I do agree that we are going to see a lot more vertical manufacturing. And it has almost been what we've lost because in the 10, 20 years when a lot of manufacturing went offshore, um, people got used to working with factories that were vertical. And in the UK, we never really had that because we are a small island that had lots of different manufacturers all connected together doing the fabric the manufacturing the printing um so now is a time for us to actually start afresh isn't it with this new type of technology and build up these manufacturing hubs um that can supply the industry i mean barbara from your perspective how do we get um students on board with what the potential and the possibilities are going forward in this new way of working I mean, I think the challenge from the academic side is, and we've all talked about it already, it's it's collaborative. I think academia, and I mean fashion academia, I mean all of the universities involved in fashion in the UK, we need to respond as one voice to the sector. I mean, from a, and I know we have a big audience today, and I mean, who do they speak to? Which university? Who does what well? Um, it's making them understand. It's a bit like um, arriving on on, uh, on the tube in London, and there's this massive big map. Um, you know you have to get there. Uh, you know uh, which station do you get off at? How much is it going to cost? It's very. It's a very confusing landscape, um, and I think as a sector, um, academia has to. Um, get a clearer message and make ourselves more accessible. We've got an SME-driven business um, and working with universities um, has to be made easier and access has got to be um, not as complicated as it is. But I think as a sector um, on in fashion academia, it's up, it's up to us to uh, get together. And we, we've talked about it earlier before before the call came on. Now's the time for us to uh, change and um, develop a, a better relationship with uh, our manufacturers to see how we can help them. 
And we also need to make sure that we're involved in terms of government policy for Industry 4.0 and the research money that's coming in for advances in manufacturing. We're again at you know, the back of the bus here. The car manufacturers are involved. They're all sitting around the table in terms of smart factories and innovation. We need to have a voice and we need to be at the table. Um, and that's something I think as a sector we're not particularly good at. And um, I think that's something that the teams and that's our responsibility in academia to support our sector. Mm. Um, and then I'm, that also draws on to the next talk that we have got today, which is um, Fashion Roundtable are running a panel about um, Brexit and the fashion industry. But actually, Fashion Roundtable do bring the industry together to be the voice um, with government in terms of the all party parliamentary group for fashion and textile. So I would urge everyone to get involved with that because I agree, Barbara, we are as an industry very split up between education, manufacturing, retail, design compared to other industries like car manufacturing. And it is partly because UK fashion manufacturing, textile manufacturing in particular is thousands, hundreds of thousands of micro businesses. Whereas when you look at something like the automotive industry, there's only half a dozen big players and everyone in government knows the names, knows the brands. And actually, when we're talking about manufacturing, they don't necessarily know the brands. They know Burberry and they know, you know Spencer's and the big retailers' names. But they don't know all of the other, you know, I'm going to use that word again, unsung heroes of everyone else that, that goes on in the, in, the, in the fashion and textile industry. So... We do need to all come together that without a doubt collaboration is very much key. And I'm going to come on to our questions in a minute because I can see we've got lots of questions um, coming up. Omar, is there anything else that you want to say in particular about the technology before we move on to the the Q&A? Again, I think that um, it's very important for us not to focus on the technology as the technology. It's about looking at the technology as an enabler to do something that we're trying to achieve, to, to achieve something. And I think that, um, I think, again, thinking from, from the point of view of, of digital transformation, of what it is that is changing around us, uh, I think that technology will be the only way for the manufacturing to change and actually meet the requirements of, of today's consumers, of today's uh, retail model, of the need for, um, for transparency and, um, and, and the need for fair, uh, fair labor, um, the sustainability impact on the environment. All, all these, these are our objectives. It's, it's technology is, is just an enabler. And I think that you know, too many times, specifically, you know, coming from from my in, from from my side of the table, hey, we're we're driven by technology and driven by innovation. But we we must remember that the innovation, the technology here is is in the service of 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 a different objective. And the objective here is really to make apparel and fashion manufacturing fit today's requirements fit today's consumers demands requirements the retail model that is is um creating itself in front of our eyes just um uh, just polls are saying this in the u.s the percentage of e-commerce out of the overall um uh, um commerce in general grew in three months 
at the same rate that it grew in the last 10 years. That's that that was the COVID-19 impact. Okay, so it's 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 an in, incredible acceleration that we're seeing. And I think that technology is the only way for us to bridge that gap that is uh, that has formed years in the past, but is, is growing dramatically. And uh, even look at us here, right? So that's how you have panelists right now in, on, on a remote platform. Why? Because the only way to adapt ourselves to our new environment is by using technology. And it's, it's exactly the same thing with fashion and apparel these days. It's an industry that lives in a completely new environment and needs to adopt technology in order to make itself suitable and adaptable to the present and to the future. So again, it's not about the technology itself, but rather about everything that we're talking about here and how technology can enable us to do that. I think it's a very exciting time. And I hope, I mean, hope everyone does agree. Um, we've got lots of questions in the chat. Now, unfortunately, I can't actually see the chat. My chat has frozen, which is not great when you're the chair of the panel. But I, one of my team has been sending me all the messages on my phone. So the first question we've got here, and it's a, a good point made and something that Fiona brought up. Um, and it's from James Stewart. Hello, James. Uh, it says a recent textile industry su uh, study has shown that almost 50% of product produced does not sell at full price. I suppose that depends on the product and and who the retailer and the brand is. But as he says, the impact on the planet and people is unsustainable. And I believe that the industry must come together. Well, I think that's definitely what we've all agreeing here today. And that we need to re-educate the industry and to some extent the consumers. The question is how? Now, Fiona, you touched on how we need to, uh, in retail, it needs to start from the leadership. But how do you think we can also educate the consumers? Well, it's interesting. Um, one of the uh, ideas which we were talking about, um, obviously, I, um, I've been involved in talking about manufacturing Leicester, which I'm incredibly proud of. And I think there's great opportunities there as well, uh, because there's some fantastic manufacturers here, um, was I, I, why wouldn't you start to look at a um, the equivalent of the food uh, bars, which tell you what how much fat and salt Garment. Why isn't there an equivalent of a swing ticket or care label that actually talks about how sustainable the product is, how many air miles have gone in? Uh, yeah, I, I actually think something very visible uh, on a product could easily communicate that. Now, maybe legislation is too difficult to do that. Uh, but I think, um, you know, if the right, if retailers want to take that up and do it, it, it would be a great selling point um, to customers and customers will become more aware of the actual cost of a product. Yeah, it's funny you should say that as well, because we've got Jodie Muta-Hamilton from Black Neon Digital um, talking later on a panel, um, and she is actually working on that. She's been working on it a while on a traffic light system, um, because it is definitely what we need, something that is that clear, that it's red, green, amber, you know, that you know how good or bad. The problem, as we all know, in our industry, industry is exactly how do you define we are so much more complicated than the food industry aren't we um but i agree it needs to be something really clearly visible to the consumers um davinda do you have any thoughts on that how we can educate people maybe through the way design works in how um you know how we can be more sustainable 
Yeah, well, listen, it all starts with education. You know, education is so important. You know, I've got three kids, two are teenagers. They're very savvy. They're on their phones. They know about brands. You know, they're buying brands. They want to, you know, look at brands. So it always has to start with education. So I think it's it's like, like you're saying, it's about teamwork and going into um, colleges, even going into schools and educating you know, young people, as well as the universities like Barbara is doing. And obviously Jenny works with, you know, having students come in. Um, I'm absolutely really passionate. Part of what I do um, being in this industry is, you know, I was a judge this year for Graduate Fashion Week and I was part of the David Band Textile Award and uh, a student from Portsmouth, Hina, she's just won. Uh, she, she won the prize. Uh, they had all their awards uh, yesterday. Um, as part of Graduate Fashion Week. I was also speaking at New Designers in London. Of course, there wasn't um, a show because of COVID, but I did a Zoom with over 100 students because they're all so desperate to understand this industry. You know, it's not about having bums on seats at university. It's about educating them and um, working together with manufacturers, working with government and, um, and and designers like myself, you know, I'm really passionate about it because um, I, I love textiles. I wouldn't be doing this for 30 years. I'm still here and I'll still be doing it. And if you go on my Instagram, I interviewed Zandra Rhodes. Now, she's so iconic. She's 80. She, we just celebrated her birthday. And... For me, I was inspired. She's 80. She's still kicking it. She's so iconic. And and we need people like that. I need people like that. I need designers like that. So education is so crucial. So for me, it is going into school and not just university level, schools as well, because these are the future. You know, I'm so looking ahead at young people and going you are the future and when I get Instagram uh, so when I get messages on my Instagram from students saying Davinda I just don't know what to do I've spent three years 30 grand on education and I just don't know if I'm going to get a job and I might just end up getting an office job that for me just breaks my heart because I know there is a future in in um, design you know, I encourage young people to keep doing it. If that's their passion and they want to do it, they should be. And people like Jenny and Barbara and Omar and yourself, Fiona, you bring a wealth, and you, Kate, of course, all, you all in this panel bring a wealth of knowledge to these young people. And if we don't do it, if we're not speaking to them on a ground level, what, what expectation of getting a career in this industry are they going to have? So we've got. Uh, I, I also think I also think the sector can support the students. You know, yes. take students on industrial placement. You can't expect them to, you know, come out of education if they haven't had the industrial experience. So we need the sector to support what we're doing in, in academia, also in schools. Let them in, let them see. Um, mm. you, you know, we, we have a job to do as a sector to encourage uh, the youth. They are, they're the people that are going to take us forward. Our students are really passionate about the planet. They're yeah. passionate about sustainability. Um, as Omar says, they're, they're way ahead. I mean, we're preparing them for an industry that's, by the time they've finished with me, the jobs aren't even invented yet. So, yeah. I mean, we have to teach um, our youth to adapt. For me, that's the key thing because, uh, you know, everybody on this panel 
six months ago, we didn't we didn't think our industry would be where it is. What's another six months going to be? So I think as a sector, there's a challenge. It's not just all of us together have to work uh, to support uh, the next generation um, that are going to take our sector forward. But I also think that it's important that we don't focus so much on design. I mean, Jenny does a lot in training people and bringing them into her factory to learn skills other than just, you know, drawing and, and design. Because, I mean, Jenny, do you want to sort of talk a little bit more about, about training and how important it is to train people within the industry? Yeah, I think it was understanding my own competence that that made me realise the huge skill gap that there is. And it's it's understanding how garments are, are constructed, put together. And actually, there are so many ways to make a garment. So the, the end customer would not realise what you've done to the internal construction. Uh, so what we did, um, we, we've opened up the Fashion Technology Academy and I know people don't know me, but I'm quite funny about standards. So I actually retrained as a teacher and then an assessor and then an internal quality auditor because I wanted to make sure we were offering a really good um, prep training program. And we've actually got accredited um, short courses and people like Asda, Sainsbury's, Marks and Spencer's, um, New Look have all come along and they've brought their assistant buyers and we've shown them open costings. Like we have nothing to hide. And we've taken them on the shop floor and we've explained about standard minutes. We've shown them how to look for an ethical trade. We've actually worked with the uh, Gangmasters Labour Abuse Authority as well. So when their inspectors go in, we've advised them what questions to ask so they know what to look for. Now, it's, it's a huge... It's a huge industry, and actually there's lots of ways to actually shortcut it, you know, to, to do bad production, to, to be unethical. But bit by bit, you know, fines are taking place. Um, you know, what's been happening in unethical factories has been more and more um, denounced by everybody, including the politicians. So it's changing. And, you know, we're not the only ones that operate like this, but there are an army out there. And I think the more we can open our doors and say, come in and look at the way that we're, we're working, it, it can be achieved. And actually, I hate to say this, and, it, and I think this makes me sound really, really old, but it used to be like this. Like when I was a selector at Marks & Spencer's, we called in um, big people like SR Gents, uh, Claremont. Burnham, and they all had their own factories. And we used to call them in at the end of the season, you've done really well here, so we're going to give you more budget there. And then at the end of the season, we'd say, right, let's give, give a summary of where you are. And that's what I was saying before. It isn't about individual garments and exits. It is about plans and working together. And the, the, the factories used to welcome the buyers to go. You know, they, they wanted to show, show their prowess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I hate to bring up the Leicester thing. Someone has asked a question, and I know Fiona is from um, and feels very strongly about this. And someone, Karen, has asked, do you think that the recent um, issues around Boohoo and Leicester has hurt the industry or could it actually um, be what we need to make a change? I'd like to think it's the latter. Uh, as I said, I know there's some great factories and I've, you know, I've bought and worked in Leicester for five years, so uh, I, I, I know that. I think um, we've all alluded to it. I think what it needs 
is a, is a joining up of you know the manufacturers, uh, the workforce, the retailer themselves, and it is about partnership and planning to make this work now. I mean, we can do you know we've got fabulous knitters and printers in Leicester. We can you know, we can do vertical. We can do the photography here. It can be end to end, but it does require you know. Sitting down and doing a production plan, sitting in and around and green three cloths, um, keeping some consistency of manufacturing instead of just jumping, you know, one order to order um, you know, based on a price. Uh, and that way, actually, you know, having some loyalty with suppliers uh, will work. Um, I think, you know, it's quite an old fashioned way of working, um, but I think it can definitely work in today's world uh, with, you know, the right mindset, the right attitude, and real collaboration. And I'm hoping. Um, you know, the, the forced return to manufacturing in the UK due to COVID, not being able to import goods, having to make PPE, will have exposed those opportunities. And I, and I hope, uh, you know, Barbara, you know, you talked about it. There are industries making in the UK um, certain uniforms. Why wouldn't all of it be made in the UK? Um, you know, and that gives you efficient production. You can engineer loads of things you can do that affordable uh, and that consistency of manufacturing that will keep buyers going and a fair way for people mm. so, yeah I mean has anyone else got anything to say on this topic I know we it could be a topic all on its own um but does anyone else have anything to say about the boohoo Leicester situation no <laughs> <laughs> well, I think totally. The question was, has it hurt the industry? Yes, it flipping well has hurt the industry. Of course, it's hurt it. And you know, the latest video from the Guardian, you know, it, it's it's upsetting. But I do not believe that's the majority. I do not believe that at all. And it's not just Leicester. It, it's 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 and it's not just our industry. So let's all rise up here. It actually happens in hospitality. It happens in the construction industry as well. But obviously, at the moment, it, it's under the microscope of the APPG. Um, and now, I agree with Fiona, now is the time that with all this emphasis and focus that we can move forward. And so we should actually embrace change. And I think we're going to have an absolute revolution. And as Barbara said, the, the new jobs that are coming through now will not be buyer merchandiser. They will be product developers that will almost combine buying, uh, design, and to a certain extent, merchandising as well. We, we've got mass customization around the corner. And actually, you know, that we are in talks with Corn about having the machine here in London because that was the future. We're, we're almost going to be designing for the individual. And, you know, personally, we're looking to expand in manufacturing. We, we won't just stay in London. We're looking at other sites as well. And this should be an exciting time. It's worrying as well, but it is also exciting. So our industry, one advice for your students, Barbara, is this is a fantastic time to go into our industry. But those traditional jobs of buying, being a designer, or they're going to change. It's about technical skills for sure. Yeah, you know, our students are really passionate. They're dead creative. That's one of our strengths in the UK. We're a centre of excellence um, in terms of fashion education. Um, what I think we could look at as a sector is 
Um, in terms of the kit and machinery, I know a lot of the people are, a lot of our industry is SME, but we should be lobbying for regional hubs of research where we can put the kit together and then we offer access because, you know, individual small factories aren't going to be, be able to access this stuff. So, you know, strategically, we could be looking, working alongside our partners um, uh, at government level in terms of how we're going to bring Industry 4.0 into the fashion sector in the UK and link up. Our, our offer is different. We're not the car manufacturers. We're a different manufacturing sector. So we have a different requirement. It isn't a one size fits all. We have to look at what's available and then lobby for it to make sure that we get it and get it in the right locations, whether it's Leicester, one in the Northwest, wherever. You know, that's what's going to support the business. And then the SMEs can have access to the kit, the expertise and the knowledge that they all need. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, I actually want to say something, if I may, about this topic. I think that yeah. um, it, what Barbara said is actually true, and, and it's true in, in pretty much every industry these days. Uh, understanding what are going to be the needed jobs and the needed function functions that functionalities in in a few years, it's it's mind-boggling. Nobody can do that, and and we need to make sure that we prepare ourselves for that with being adaptable. Exactly, Barbara said. But I do think that fashion, in that sense. Is 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 a very unique industry. Well, not it's a very unique industry, basically, because there is a digital transformation that is taking place here, but it is just changing the industry. It is not eliminating it, right? Because this is not going to become digital anytime soon. So this is going to remain as analog as it is today, as physical as it is today. Uh, fashion is not going to go out of style because fashion is about self-identity and self-expression and that doesn't change it doesn't change whether we're online or offline whether in zooming or in a room uh we are who we are we want to express ourselves we have our identities and fashion is probably one of the best ways of, of expressing that and i think that in that sense the fashion industry is in the super exciting um inflection point right now it is going to change dramatically in the next 10 years but it's going to its its essence is going to remain the same. It is going to be one of the most colorful and and best ways to express who we are, and that is going to to remain the same. And I think it's it's super exciting to when you see it like that. And and just a note about education from the course. Well, obviously, I'm not. I I don't come from the education industry, but. If I look at it uh, from the business sector, how how that goes, and in building, for example, on on Fiona's point about uh, the labels, um, this is a crucial part for us to move forward. Those labels, for example, but it's not about edu. In my mind, it's not about education. It's about transparency. There's something about education that is very unilateral, and I think that, for example, when sustainability comes into play. I think that it's the younger generation that is educating us. I mean, let's be honest about this. We're the ones that got us into this mess in the first place. So now educating them on sustainability, it's a little bit like, um, I think we got it backwards. Um, so I think it's about really creating that, um, just those those um, tags are just a good example. Of, yes, it's, it's that transparency that can allow for uh, for the data not and the knowledge uh, to be shared and not only uh, unilaterally. So I think that, yes, we need to educate them about um, knowledge and about technology and techniques, et cetera, but we also need to be as open as they should be 
to their passion, to what interests them and be educated by them. And I think as, as an industry, that in the fashion industry probably should have listened more. And now it's like everybody's running to catch up. So it's like my two cents about um, the industry compared to its consumers and the younger generations. I think that um, kind of level the play field a little bit here. I think that we need to listen just as much as we as we talk when as as educators, as industry leaders, as as business people, and whatever. Yeah, I agree. I, um, you've frozen for me, Omar. I don't know whether it hasn't for anyone else. Whether no, it's just it's just me. I hope my. Uh, Internet's going to last the course here. Got an interesting question from Rifa, actually, who says that um, can the panel describe the way we see the infrastructure and this new way of working with UK manufacturers and designers, how that will work in terms of startups who are building their business online? So does anyone have any advice to give there? Because we've talked a lot about bigger business and retail, but how, how would this look for smaller startups? at this time we do have a fashion studio service uh, where the minimum order value is one um and we will work with the the individual however there's other comments that come up about being expensive and it is i have to agree it is that trade-off isn't it you know do you mass produce and it's cheaper or do you do one and it's more expensive because it's it's slower and actually, um, what, what I would really recommend is that for any new startup at the moment, that they should really try and concentrate on their own technical skills, you know, do their own patterns, uh, understand stitching and construction. Uh, if they go to any factory where they're making garments, they need to be able to um, challenge that manufacturer. You know, don't give over your garments and say, I'll be back next week. Now, ask them, you know, what's the standard minutes? What's the cost involved? I mean, we always give an approximate a cost. If we think it's going to go over, we say. Um, you know, and, and I do not want to sound as though I'm holier than thou, but that's why we're a social enterprise, is that we weren't about the money. I'd actually lost my business uh, back in 1999. And, you know, I made a very foolish mistake. Like, you, you trust the wrong people sometimes in life. And actually, that's why we're a social enterprise. It was never about making money. And actually... In 2006, when we opened the company, there was never any idea of, of opening a manufacturing company. So for all startup businesses out there, you need flexibility, you need opportunity. That if something's coming your way, don't be afraid of it. You know, go forward and just keep learning. There are some really good people in our industry. You know, and, and look at the panel that we've got today who genuinely want to help. You need to find these good people out, try and get mentors. Uh, but there are companies out there that, that can really support new business startups. Yeah, I would agree. There are some fantastic people in our industry, without doubt. I mean, all the manufacturers that I've met over the last 10 years since I've been running Make It British, um, there's some really wonderful people that actually really care about the industry. Yeah. So, yeah, well said, Jenny. Um, Alex has asked, do the panel agree that education and industry have never been less aligned? And in my experience in working in design, product development, and most recently embarking on a po post-furlough role, combining my designer role with a buyer role at Arcadia Group, it has never been more important for fashion educators to diversify, <laughs> diversify pathways within fashion courses. It is so vital to diversify students' visions of becoming the next McQueen 
to engage with the legitimate, incredible career pathways and businesses across the UK that really are the unsung heroes. I mean, we've kind of touched on that quite a bit, Barbara, but do you have anything else? How do we get give students a reality check that not everyone is the next McQueen? Oh, I think our students are pretty switched on. Um, uh, the, 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 the curtains are pulled uh, open, particularly now, and uh, they're looking at where they're going to be post-COVID. Um, they have to, I think what we have to look at, and, and we've mentioned it earlier, it's depending on who you're going to work with and what you're going to do. You're going to be, you know, designing it, making it, cutting it packing it and probably delivering it so you know make sure you can all drive um the, the demands for the sector are it's changing um and i think our students are um they don't have any illusions um about the sector um and uh, as universities and as educators you know we have to just get them ready to be able to, do, to to be able to multitask and and understand, as Jenny said, understand the construction, understand make. It's not enough just to be able to do one bit of it. Um, and the research tells us these students are going to have at least twelve different changes within their career. So every job they're going to learn, you know, it's there are no jobs for life anymore in the sector. Mm-hmm. Um, every job, the hardest job, the worst job, is the one where you probably learn the most. You know, we're telling our students, you know, this is a career. Um, you're going to have to learn the manufacturing bit. To be the best buyer in the world, you have to know how this stuff's made. So, you know, it's a career plan uh, within an industry sector. So we're teaching them um, at the Fashion Institute that, you know, don't get hung up, get up, get out there, get a job, understand how factories work, understand how they work in the UK and the advantages, understand how they work offshore, um, understand uh, that design is changing and it's quicker. You need to have a knowledge across all sectors. So gone, gone are the days where they're just working on fashion design. My, my fashion design students are doing business they're doing print they're setting up i have a number of students who are already setting up their own businesses and you know they're the next level for us so um yeah i think don't underestimate the students they're sharper than probably everybody on the panel <laughs> brilliant <laughs> okay i was going to say, having been involved in graduate fashion week five years ago i did a course uh, sorry i did a talk to the opened it to the deans of uh the fashion design courses and it was an open open chance to say, uh, you know, actually going forward with students having to pay their own um, uh, fee, you know, they're going to come up with anything from a 30 to a 50 grand debt. To get a job at the end of it is going to be the, the decider of where they go. The students will start to look at the employment. Um, out of, um, I can't remember the colleges, one dean turned up actually to, to hear actually how you could change your education of students instead of thinking they're going to be Alexander McQueen. Um, you know, the guys are actually right, you know, that actually a designer that knows, I don't know whether they put a back seam in something so it's got a better lay, if they do a cover seam back neck instead of a bow neck, understands technically how to design something, you know, uh, understands technology about to make production more efficient, will be a far more employable student than somebody who can just draw pretty pictures on a CAD. So true. So true, because I think we're all of the generation here, not, um, you know, putting anyone down, but, but we probably all learned that going back because buying design was so much closer. I mean, when I first started out, when I was working at Tammy Girl in the early 90s, I'd just hop into the factory in Hackney if there was a problem 
with a pattern and, and amend it there and then. And we've lost that. We've disconnected because all the manufacturing's in China and so few people at the at their early stages in the kit career have ever been to a factory. So, yeah, I do encourage and urge them um, to get out to uh, to factories. Actually, with that in mind, um, Omar, I know that we're can, you're very keen for people to see the core neat technology and experience one of these manufacturing uh, micro manufacturing facilities that you have and Cornet have very kindly offered to do some special tours for some limited amount of people and I know when we had this last discussion people said how can we see it so that's why we showed the video today but I know a lot of people want to see it in real life so there is a form that we're going to put in the chat I'm hoping one of my team will put it in the chat right now because I can't see it or someone from Cornet if you are interested in seeing how the or neat technology works and you want to go on a covid safe micro factory tour then please do fill in that form um, and you'll have to be quick because there are limited places and um, i've got one final um question here from um our audience but i think it's a really important one and it's from chloe haywood hello chloe um she says with the climate as it is there's sadly been a lot of job losses how can we encourage the people of the UK to see how rewarding manufacturing is and entice people to retrain into a new profession? It would surely create jobs and strengthen UK manufacturing. I mean, I certainly think from that, we're, we're no doubt going to sadly see a lot of job losses for people that work in other areas of the fashion and textile industry, such as retail and in, and in retail stores. How can we encourage people to, to go from maybe working in a store to now working in a factory who's got I think to all of our panel as this is the last question can you all give me a little sound bite on that one how do we tell if you've lost your job why should you go and work in manufacturing I think you need elevator to, I think you need to have a look at the factories first to decide um I mean, my, my son just recently joined. He's 26. He went traveling for a year. And, and the only way, reason he joined, because I said, you're not staying at home. So his name is Callum. And he is absolutely, excuse the expression, gobsmacked at how hard it is. But he is enjoying it. And he had no idea that manufacturing actually is fun. And it's fun because of the people are so hard working, as I said before, and skilled. There's apprenticeships now. The apprenticeship, we, we run the apprenticeship program and they're great. They are very uh, behavioral based, competency based, skills based. So that's one idea people can go down. Uh, we do do um, work experience. It's, it's much harder now, obviously, because of COVID. So we've had to stop that in the short term. But we are always happy. In fact, with Manchester, we've, we've done very good work experience places before on actually the marketing side. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're up for everyone to learn. I mean, that is, that's our remit. We, we want this to be a better place and manufacturing to really take a strong hold. There's lots of ways. Be innovative and do it. Don't be scared. Brilliant. Brilliant. How about you, Delinda? Two-minute elevator pitch for why people should consider a job in manufacturing. Well, the thing is, I think Jenny's great. She's a great example of someone that owns a factory and say, look, our, my doors are open. Come in, have a look at what we're doing. And this is the standards that we do. This is the things that we do. It's, again, coming back to education. People that have gone from, you know, the shop floor to want to work in manufacturing, they've probably got no clue. But if someone like Jenny just opens their door and just says, come in and have a look, that's where it starts from. And, you know, Jenny's very passionate, I can tell. And, you know, so... 
we, we need more people like that to open their factory doors and say, come in. It's a great career. You know, it is hard work, you know, and but it's a great future. And so I think Jenny's great. I think she's a great example of that. Open your doors, let people come in and, you know, just take them around, give them the factory tour. You know, it's not brilliant. So it's everyone over to the fashion enter booth in the expo expo later to uh, book a book a work experience visit for one of a member of their family if they're unemployed to go and have a look around Jenny's factory. Um, Fiona, two minute elevator pitch for why people should consider careers in manufacturing, maybe rather than um, retail. Well, it's probably it's probably people are of the breadth of roles again in the manufacturing side of it though uh, you know whether it is production planning production product engineering uh you know understanding the digital capabilities as well as you know the actual um you know manufacture of the products themselves purchasing there's a whole raft of careers um that would that are in the manufacturing industry and i think i do think one of the interesting developments will i think for um direct customers as well so i actually think ultimately the manufacturers will become the retailers as well so i i think that whole breadth um of careers should be you know more publicized really and then i think we'll have an appetite to go and look at it brilliant yeah i agree manufacturers becoming brands and retailers retailers becoming manufacturers much more merging of the industry exactly barbara elevator pitch for your students working yeah. manufacturing. i really think it's an opportunity for make it british to be honest kate i said you've got the database you've got the platform i totally agree with fiona if you're unemployed you're going to want a job whether it's manufacturing, brilliant, you're going to go for it. But we need to have a case study, explain the kinds of jobs. You network out to your people to say who who needs people so that, you know, the opportunities come in. We match it through Make It British because it's our industry. It's all right. You know, Jenny's one person, but we've got, and she's stuck, you know, she's not stuck in London. She's based in London. We're going to have a lot of people out of work in the country. A lot of them are connected to you. You've got the network with all the manufacturers. So why not run a pilot scheme? Get some case studies together of these are the jobs. You know, send out some survey to your network and and and, and we try something. Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, the UKFT do do a lot of work on skills and and you know helping people. They have set up a uh, an account, an Instagram account called So Connect, where manufacturers can advertise any jobs but you know i totally agree we we do need to get the industry connecting together and that has been one of the big messages that has come across out of this talk is how much more we need to come together so it is vitally important that we have events like this as well particularly when we can't connect in real life and meet in real life at the moment so if, uh, if you have if you have a background in fashion and you're in fashion retail and you've lost your job you'll understand the language of fashion so when you work in the factory you'll understand a swing ticket and a bag and a skew and so it's not foreign it's just a different position within your industry so it to me um it, it's a good fit we should at least try it what i also think is interesting is the amount of people that joined all these scrub hubs and started making scrubs mm. um you know suddenly loads of people can sew and they're you know sitting at home with a machine and they're remembering those skills they've got or learning new skills so i do think that has also helped people um think about making things again so omar closing remark from you um how do you think we can get more people to come into the manufacturing industry so 
in my mind, it's it's mostly about perception. I think that even in the way we position here. So if you're unemployed, you should consider uh, manufacturing. I think that um, we say manufacturing, people see Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. It's not that anymore, guys. This is why it's a micro factory. These places are just, it looks like, it looks like a studio. You work in a studio, but you're actually manufacturing. And, and, and funny enough, it's actually, I see, when I look at production floors around the world that, you know, we have core needs and people are running them, um, there's actually a pretty big change in the demographics of people that operate our systems across the world. And it's very, very interesting. And um, we see a lot more um, uh, kind of like the hipster kind of like shift, because I think that actually younger generations um, actually prefer to to make stuff and to do stuff. And there's something tangible about this. And I think that production here is is a very good combination of design and inspiration and actually making something. So I think that that perception of what is manufacturing is is just wrong. And and basically what we're talking here right now is is we're talking about how we create a large scale manufacturing platform, but the, the but of one-offs. So when when we think about an uh, an Etsy seller. Um, that's un- it's not going to be appalling to okay that they're manufacturing stuff, but it's okay, you know, because they have a nice environment. And this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about large scale, customized, on demand uh, manufacturing. It's not like the old school factories of the seventies or the fifties and thirties, of course not. But and I think that it's it's mainly about that perception. I think that making things is is something that is is is. There's something so unique about this that I think it's it's actually super exciting, romantic, and it's it's these are wonderful jobs actually more than anything else. I think that uh, for me, for example, coming from the semiconductors here, it's wow. You see something in the end, and it's like it, you know back when I worked at semiconductors, like I had to tell my mom, you know, it's like yeah, everything that you use, we actually manufacture the thing that is inside that is actually making it work. Wow. Hey, I made this. This is it's something else. So I think it's actually about perception more than anything else. And I think that manufacturing for the apparel and fashion industry, I think it should sell itself probably. Brilliant. Well, on that note, um, unfortunately, we're going to have to end. I'm sorry if anyone's got a question in the chat and we haven't got round to answering it. The chat is still available and actually the recording of this talk will be available within um, this event platform for 30 days so if you missed anything then please come back and watch and i'd like to thank my wonderful panelists here barbara jenny omar fiona and davinda thank you very much for your time today Um, and thank you very much take care everyone goodbye Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday, plus there's bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.